A heavy weight is intended for mature audiences. This series discusses topics that may be triggering to some listeners, such as suicide and drug use. Some names in this series have been changed to protect identities. Views expressed by guests on this series are their own and may not reflect my own. Resources and source materials can be found on our website, aheavyweight.com. Thank you so much for listening. The last episode ended with a reenactment of a group chat between Joseph's fraternity brothers that took place in the days after he disappeared. If you haven't listened to the first three episodes yet, you'll want to stop here and start at the beginning. A Heavy Weight re-examines the disappearance of Joseph Smedley. Joseph's sister Vivian was able to access the group chat from her brother's laptop computer before she handed the computer over to police. After hearing it, it's understandable why Vivian would be wary of Joseph's fraternity brothers. To her, the chat reinforced her suspicion that she wasn't getting the whole story from the frat. She took screenshots of the conversation before turning Joseph's laptop over to the police, and she was sure to tell them about the concerning exchange in the group chat. I talked to Rebecca Schmuel about that, and, you know, I've given her all this information about them. There's more to the conversation than what we covered in the last episode. At one point, the chat circled back to the note on Joseph's bed, the one found by his roommates, which was allegedly written by Joseph prior to his disappearance. The note read, Had to leave country. Don't contact me via cell. It won't work. We'll contact you once set up overseas. It was signed Smedley and dated September 28th. Vivian wasn't the only person suspicious of the note. In the chat, a few of the fraternity brothers expressed uncertainty about whether or not Joseph was the note's author. One brother asked why it was written so sloppily if Joseph had written it of his own free will. Another questioned if the handwriting had been compared with Joseph's schoolwork, to see if it was really his. A third commented that his roommates would have heard something if Joseph had been taken against his will. Reading the group chat, it's clear that many of Joseph's fraternity brothers were confused by his disappearance. They were trying to understand what could have happened to him, but they weren't coming up with any clear answers. A noticeable theme throughout the chat was that many of the brothers were worried, not necessarily about Joseph, but more so about how his disappearance might affect their own reputations and the fraternity as a whole. Some of the messages alleged Joseph was involved in something illegal, even though there was no proof or evidence to support that claim. Vivian found the brothers' concern hypocritical. Um, the funny thing is, the fraternity was involved in drugs. Um, it definitely t- 
talked about that, and they definitely talked about that in their group me chat. In the group chat on Wednesday, September 30th, the fraternity brothers discussed deleting the chat in an effort to protect themselves and the frat should the police discover it. But this wasn't possible, because as fate would have it, Joseph created it and was the only one that would have been able to delete it. So instead, they all left the chat. It's clear that fraternity life was a big part of Joseph's college experience. But Vivian wasn't that familiar with frat culture, so it was hard for her to gauge just how seriously she should take the things said in the group chat. She certainly had her suspicions, but she wasn't sure if their paranoid behavior was out of self-defense to protect their fraternity or if they actually did have something to hide, something related to her brother's disappearance. Luckily, Vivian was in contact with a close friend of Joseph's, who wasn't a Sig Pi brother, but was close with the fraternity. He was able to offer some perspective about Greek life at IU. He declined to be interviewed for this podcast, but Vivian recorded her conversation with him the week Joseph disappeared. What you'll hear next is a reenactment of what was said. Names in this reenactment have been changed to protect identities. First, Vivian asked whether or not this friend had seen or heard from her brother recently. Unfortunately, he hadn't. He told her he'd seen Joseph around campus off and on that September and recalled that Joseph had been studying a lot in the library. He'd run into him there a few times. When she asked what the fraternity had told him about her brother's disappearance, things started to get interesting. Um, and then also the whole story has been, like, really weird when I talked to Dan. It was like, like I called Dan to ask, like, uh, was Joseph still in good standing with Sigma Pi? And he was like, no. Like, Joseph was in a criminal activity, and he had to leave the town. Then was like, I think he's schizophrenic. And he's like, he needs to get some mental help. Uh, there's bottles in his room that were, like, scraped, like, scratched out with pills and other stuff like that. It's like the whole story has just really bothered me. It wasn't the first time the brothers suggested that Joseph was involved in criminal activity and had pill bottles in his possession. But Joseph's friend wasn't buying it, and he didn't believe that Joseph was schizophrenic. Joseph didn't have any type of mental problems, and I'm sure you knew that. Yeah, and that was the whole thing. He had a hard time believing Joseph would have left town without telling any of his close friends or family. I'm just like, and I was thinking, you know, I understand that Joseph didn't want to tell the fraternity brothers anything, but like his close friends, I feel like he would have at least told us something, you know, his family. Vivian then asked him about Joseph's summer job, if he knew anyone her brother had worked with. Joseph had stuck around Bloomington the summer after his freshman year in 2015. He moved off campus and started working at Guys and Dollies, a local moving company in town. This was where he'd gone to pick up the check he'd needed to pay his apartment balance before he vanished. Vivian mentioned to me that a few of Joseph's fraternity brothers told her that Guys and Dollies was a restaurant and Joseph was a busboy there. This bothered her. She wasn't sure if it was a deliberate lie 
or if they just didn't know her brother as well as they'd let on. They lied to me then about the the place that he worked because Guys and Dollies were supposed to be some type of restaurant. Now I'm hearing that it's a storage moving place. Um, do you remember like anything suspicious about Joseph? Like anything that he kind of you were wondering any type of questions like where are you going or who is that or anything like that? No, no. He was just like, when he was working over the summer, I know he'd get back pretty late. But I mean, they would be moving stuff. Even after when I was getting off of work, some nights I saw them, like after 6 o'clock, still moving stuff in with people. And I know he was leaving like pretty early in the morning to go there too. Joseph's friend couldn't recall anything being out of the ordinary. So I mean, really just nothing clicked with me as being off. You know what I mean? I was just thinking to myself, like, was I not asking the right questions? I tried to treat him like a little brother. You know what I mean? Because I didn't want him to get in, like, any kind of trouble. I know that, you know, I know what grief like can be like. And I know that types of things can go on. Vivian had one last question for her brother's friend. She wanted to know what he thought about one of Joseph's roommates on Mitchell Street. Because his name kept coming up. He was the person the other frat brothers continually deferred questions to. The Sigpi brother we've been referring to is Josh. I really don't know, honestly. The fact that when I called and he was telling me that, like, Joseph needed mental help seemed like he was paranoid. Like, I was just like... Oh, what's going on here? And I feel like, you know, stuff like that shouldn't just freely be said about people. Especially because he turned on me like, oh, I just found out like he had a 1.9, like a 1.9 GPA. Like, we thought he was a smart guy. And I'm just thinking, just rush to fraternity. I was thinking it was a tough semester. You can't just sit here and try to discredit somebody just because, you know... They had a time where maybe they weren't able to focus academically. Even though this friend wasn't in SIGPI, he was in a different campus fraternity. He knew firsthand the pressures of pledging and wasn't surprised that Joseph's grades had suffered during his pledge semester. He was always tired. Yeah. And I mean, I know what the pressure is, you know, and I, and it's most people end up doing terribly during their pledge semester. And he was, he even told me that he can't always talk to me. He's like, he's like, man, I had like a really tough semester last year, you know, rushing in every day. And that was really the biggest thing. And I was like, you know, that happens. Back in the group chat, Vivian had found a message where one fraternity brother attempted to discredit her brother by saying his GPA was so low that he wasn't actually an active SIGPI member. But several people familiar with IU Greek life, including Joseph's friend Jess, told me that it's expected for your grades to drop while you pledge. But I think that that's like really normal. <laughs> like, but Ian, he wasn't pledging when he went, went missing. Like he was very much a brother um, in the fraternity. So, but yeah, I think that that's really normal. A lot of the guys <laughs> barely pass their classes or fail when they're pledging because yeah, it's just a lot of work on everyone. The conversation with Joseph's friend ended with him telling Vivian 
that he wasn't surprised with Sigpai's reaction to Joseph's disappearance. Like, that doesn't mean that he's not a part of the fraternity all of a sudden. Like, he's already pledged, he's already done everything to get in, and now they want to hurry up and distance themselves from him. That's just kind of how Greek life is, honestly. The house would do whatever they have to do to keep working good. The fraternity at large is going to want to not have anything to do with this. I mean, they're going to want to try and distance themselves. You're about to hear a reenactment of a conversation between Vivian and a different friend of her brother's. Like the last friend, he was also surprised to hear from a Sigpi brother about Joseph's supposed struggles with his mental health. He knew Joseph well and had never heard or seen anything to substantiate this claim. And I'm like, that's so weird. Why he would even start bringing that up? Joseph was the most calm and controlled guy. And it was, he went and then started saying all of that stuff. I was like, I'm sorry, but it's you who actually needs help, not Joseph, because Joseph was not that kind of guy. He never even, like, displayed any characteristics at all. This rumor that perhaps Joseph had been struggling with his mental health and that that contributed to his disappearance appeared to be coming from mainly one source. She heard this rumor from more than one of her brother's friends, and they all confided to her that they'd heard it from the same person. In my investigation, I was able to trace the rumor back to one main person, the person we've been referring to as Josh. I have heard him going around trying to paint a bad picture of Joseph. Um, It just doesn't make any sense. Vivian's interviews at the time also corroborate Josh as the source of this rumor. In my investigation, I haven't found one person, not one friend or family member, who could speak to Joseph struggling with his mental health in any way leading up to his disappearance. And Joseph confided in people close to him. He talked about his difficult family life. He was open about his personal struggles. I think it's important to say that I know there are many people who suffer in silence while struggling with mental health issues. But based on everything I've researched and investigated, I don't think that Joseph did. Which leaves me with a difficult question that I don't have the answer to. What motivation would someone have for spreading a rumor suggesting Joseph was mentally unstable? The other pervasive rumor that was circulating was that Joseph was somehow tied to illegal activity, possibly drugs. Jess remembers hearing this rumor as well. Yeah, it was just, it was an awful week. I know people were wondering, like, if he, like, stole from somebody that was, like, I don't know, maybe, like, a big drug dealer or something like that, where, um, or he found, like, my thing is, Like, part of me thinks, like, maybe, you know, he was, like, really smart, really good with computers and stuff. Like, maybe he, like, found something he, someone didn't want him to know, and they, like, wanted to, I guess, kind of eliminate that threat or something. Like, it's it's hard to, like, say for sure what I think, because I'm trying to think, like, what are the other rumors were. I, like, these are rumors, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard something about him, like, you know, he had access to the labs at IU, like trying to create like drugs, like a PCP or something like that. Or I don't remember which one, like what kind of like DMT maybe. 
While the rumor did concern her, she never knew Joseph to sell drugs, let alone manufacture them. I don't really know much about it because I, like, I, he, he never told me he did anything like that. I don't think he would tell me if he was doing something like that. And I don't know if it's true, but I know, like, that was a rumor that I heard. Joseph really cared about Jess. And she admitted that if he'd been involved in something illegal or dangerous, he likely would have wanted to protect her from it. I don't, like, I think if he was involved in, like, anything bad, I don't think he would have, like, told me. Like, I just know how he was. Like, he would always, like, try to protect me. So I don't think he would ever, like, want to put me in a position where I was, like, involved in something like that. So, yeah, I never heard anything like that. Um, But I do remember, like, now it's, like, kind of coming back. I was hoping for more clarity from Jess regarding the second note she was told Joseph's roommates found in his room after he disappeared. We heard about the note last episode. It was mysterious and vaguely threatening. The gist of it was that the note warned Joseph to stay away, that he'd been seen on camera, somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. All these years later, it's hard for Jess to remember specific details. But I do remember, like, now it's, like, kind of coming back that that note was found in a clothing drawer, kind of, like, crumpled up, um, I think, by his roommates or by the police. I'm not sure. I never knew about that note or heard about that note until after he disappeared. So I don't know when he received that, if that's, like, true or what. But my recollection was they found it in, like, one of his clothes drawers, I think. Back in 2015... And still today, Jess isn't able to put the pieces together about what might have happened to her friend. Amidst all the gossip going around, she couldn't find a good, credible reason why Joseph just vanished. The first few days of Joseph's disappearance had come and gone, and despite having spoken to dozens of people from her brother's life, Vivian was no closer to finding Joseph than she was when she started her investigation. She'd spent most of that first week down in Bloomington so that she could be close by in case there was any news. It had been one of the most difficult weeks of her life. On Friday, October 2nd, Vivian was in Bloomington with a few friends who'd been helping her with her investigation. They were eating in a restaurant not far from the square, near where Joseph's cell phone pinged at 7th and Walnut, when all of a sudden, a bunch of police cars sped by. I just thought it was really strange that, like, all these, I mean, it was a ton of cop cars. They all had their lights on. They were speeding like crazy, and they were going towards Griffey Lake, which I didn't know, I didn't even know what Griffey Lake was at the time, Um, but... Yeah, I thought it was strange, and so that's why I decided to call Rebecca again before we were going to leave and just be like, hey, is everything okay, you know? Because I just, it just was really weird. And there had already been a double homicide that week. In addition to Joseph's disappearance, there was another horrific event in Bloomington that same week involving another university student, 21-year-old IU junior Yaolin Wang. She was murdered by her boyfriend, who then took his own life. Um, And that was a scare because they didn't say who it was at first. I'm like blowing up IUPD and saying, like, 
who's it? Who's, who, who was it? Like, they're not telling the names, and they're like, at first they weren't saying, and I'm like, this can't be Joseph. Like, there's just no way. And then, of course, it wasn't. Um, so I just was like, okay, there's already been something major other than what's going on with Joseph happening this week. How many major things can happen in one week? So that had me kind of feeling like maybe they had something to do with what was going on with Joseph. So after you saw those cop cars rush by and you call Rebecca, what is she able to tell you? She said uh, that there was a body found in the lake, but that's all she knew. Mm-hmm. And I was, she said she couldn't tell me the sex, the age, the gender, the race, anything. Um, so we were, I was with a couple of other um, of my friends um, at the time, and you know, we kind of just had been up there canvassing the campus. And so we sat, our meetup spot was like that Taco Bell on Six and Walnut, because that was where one of the places where Joseph's phone ping. Um, so we just sat there and we're trying to figure out what to do. And Rebecca's like, because I didn't want to leave Bloomington, drive all the way to Indianapolis and then have her turn around and be like, come back, you know. So it was just this weird period where we're like, should we go? Should we stay? At first, she wasn't able to get a clear answer from police as to whether or not the body found at Griffey Lake might be her brother. We had just decided, you know, I guess we should go home because I, I called her and I said, well, should you know anything tonight? Like, and she's like, no. Um, so she's like, you should just go ahead and go home. So we started driving off and then all of a sudden we had another phone call and we pulled us back together and she's like, um, we, we just want information about like... Um, you know, where, or, or do you have any, like, dinner records? Do you, does he ever been fingerprinted and all that stuff? And one of my friends that was with me was an IMPD detective. So she's like, okay, they're asking you this stuff because they might suspect that it's your brother. So we should stay up here. And so we're just kind of sitting in the car, um, like, talking about, like, where we might find some of these things. And I'm like, I don't think he's been fingerprinted before. I don't know his dentist, you know, so. Um, and then, like, we waited a little bit longer. It's nighttime by now. We're like, okay, maybe we should head home. Um, so then we start peeling off again. And just as we were leaving, we get another phone call. And they're like, okay, we need you to come down to the precinct, and we just want to um, ask you a couple more questions. So then my detective friend was like, okay, so if they're asking you to precinct, I just want to prepare you, like, they probably think it's him. And, like, I was kind of in denial at that time, so I was just like, "There's that's that's not going to happen. Like, that's not, that's it just can be Joseph, you know? Like, there's just no way. Because the whole week, I mean, even though I couldn't, um, I didn't know where he was, I just still had, like, hope. Not even, like, hope. I just was certain that he wasn't, like, gone like, he, I don't know, maybe he was on a trip somewhere. I just kept thinking, like, oh, maybe he's, like, I don't know, on a camping trip. Maybe he just decided, like, he just needed to get away from things for a little while or something. So um, when the police, when we pulled up to the police department, I think that's when it hit me. Um, and then, like, you know, we got in there and they told me that they had found him. The search for her brother had come to a devastating end. 
Joseph's body was recovered from Griffey Lake on Friday, October 2nd, five days after he'd gone missing. Police told Vivian that a fisherman had found her brother's body floating in a shallow portion of the lake. Joseph's case immediately changed from a missing persons investigation to a death investigation, and it also changed jurisdictions. It shifted from IUPD to the Bloomington Police Department. When Vivian arrived to the BPD precinct, the reality that her brother wasn't ever coming back was only beginning to sink in. So this is like a completely different uh, precinct because the jurisdictions, I guess, changed once his body was found in Griffey Lake because it's part of Bloomington and not IU. Um, and so I can't remember the guy that I, I was in there with, but he, um, you know, he told me that they believe it was Joseph. He asked if I had any questions. I said, you know, what, 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 what did he have? And at the time... He said he had his backpack, and I said, well, what was in the backpack? And they said he had, like, some old school papers, a hard drive, an external hard drive, um, and a charger to his laptop. But his laptop was at home. There was one critical detail that BPD left out when describing what was found with her brother's body. So it was just really strange because... They never mentioned the 66 pounds of rocks that were in his backpack. Why had BPD failed to mention the 66 pounds of rock tied to her brother's body? What could have led Joseph to Griffey Lake that Sunday night? We'll dive into that next time on A Heavy Weight. something could have happened while they were down there but I mean I know he wasn't alone it's just virtually impossible for him to be completely by himself at that lake in the dark in the meeting with the entire police department there in the corner and they said well do you have any more questions I said yeah I have a question I said does it make sense to anybody in this room Written, produced, and hosted by me, Stacy Brodovsky. Edited and engineered by Joseph Caldwell. Additional editing, music, and sound design by Mike Brodovsky. <laughs>